podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Daily Podcast, brought to you by Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of exciting memories since 1979. If there's one thing cricket is good at, it's enjoying dead robbers, meaningless games without context. Today's game between Sri Lanka and West Indies was the first such contest of the World Cup. Sri Lanka picks up their third CWC19 win, while West Indies are left in ninth place after eight games. I'm Yazrana and today I'm joined by Wisdom's Ben Gardner on the phone. How are you, Ben? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Yeah, you're exactly right. When when the rubbers go dead, we come alive. Absolutely. Did you have a moment of the day? Yeah, I did. Uh, it came right at the end. Um, it was Angelo Matthews bowling his first ball in ODI cricket, and so we're told his first ball in any sort of cricket, the nets, uh, a match, anything for eight months. Um, just ambles up about, probably about 69 miles an hour. Who knows? And uh, nicks off poor and he's batting like a dream with 118 first ball and wins the game for Sri Lanka and I guess so he, he did, there was no injury thing it wasn't like um, well, it wasn't that sort of thing where they were trying to make up the overs uh, Karina Ratna just felt that um, Bandersay was going for a few too many he bowled over himself Karina Ratna and I think that sums up Sri Lanka's tournament in a way I mean they came in with not much expectations no sort of great designs on winning the whole thing but I think just through sort of uh, cobbling together they've put together a, a pretty decent campaign where they've sort of stayed in contention for a long time got more wins than I think almost everyone would have uh, would have said they would ahead of the tournament. I mean, if you look at the, the players that have stood up, is uh, like Malenga, who was out of the side not long ago and thought his international career was done. The lead spinner has been Dalen Jada Silva, who's a, a test match number three and a part-timer. It's, uh, it's not really made any sense, but as they've left a sort of indelible mark on this tournament and have We've got them all to thank for making it making it exciting, I guess. I, I was really critical of their squad before the tournament was announced. Um, I mean, remarkably, in October 2018, they beat England by 200-odd runs in an ODI, uh, and only three of that 11 actually made it to the World Cup. Karina Ratner hadn't played an ODI for four years. I mean, Avishka Fernando today was was brilliant. He scored his first international hundred. He's been uh, one of the one of the few breakout players of the tournament. Uh, there haven't been many breakout players, but he's definitely been one of them. Uh, so my question, Ben, is wh- where's he been if he's this good? Well, I mean, I think there's more of the story to come of where he's been. There's been sort of a, a bit of stuff coming out that he was there was there was illness basically that was stopping him from playing. And I mean, I guess you don't know what. What, what that could that could mean without more info it's not it's not good to, to speculate but I think that um, I think the thing is, is that he came in at a very young age he was what 18 and playing his first this day game when he made his debut yeah, against Australia crazy. and uh, opening the batting and got bowled with Mitchell Stark obviously but I think that shows that they that they raced him and I, th- I, I sort of feel that the only reason they didn't give him more of a chance is because of external circumstance rather than they then thought oh he's not good enough he needs to go and prove himself because that's not really how Shranka, do you think you look at Kasam Mendes, he gets a really long rope. You look at even going back, players like Kumar Sankara at the beginning of their careers didn't have astonishing starts, were sort of averaging 30s for, for a while and then exploded. I think that's Shranka like to give to identify players early and give mm. them a long rope. And they're actually they're, they're pretty good at it. And those players tend to, I mean, as we see with like with Malinga and Matthews, they tend to flourish much later on in their careers. And he could well be one who we sort of. Like we're still talking about in, in, in a long time, I think. Yeah, yeah, 
quite oddly, uh, Sangakara on commentary today said that Sri Lankan selectors need to give young players more of a chance and sometimes young players do well and they're quite quickly dropped. Uh, I'm not really sure that's the case. Kusar Mendes, who looks brilliant, has played the odd brilliant innings. He's been given so many opportunities and decide, and he's been allowed to um, develop on the international stage. Um, what, what do you think is next for Fernando? I mean, his domestic record is actually not not that impressive. Um, do you think that he will be drafted into the test team at the first available opportunity? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's. I mean, I don't think there's loads of heed paid to strength in the Mets record sometimes. I mean, I think it's not unfair to say that their setup leaves a little bit to be desired. I mean, there's sort of part time spinners there who are, are sort of taking loads and loads of wickets. I think all finger spinners basically are the top wicket takers there. So I think you kind of have to go on other things. Uh, based on it to, to see if they're going to ma- make it at the top level, and he seems to he seems to have it basically. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I'll do that. I, I was just thinking it was interesting what you said about the um, this not being the tournament for for breakout stars, and it's been the tournament for the old stage really for your Malingas and your Matthews and your what have we have is, and I guess that's what I mean. I know that the players Shlantians picked didn't have loads of ODI experience as well, which not made it all the more bizarre. But they at least were established international players, and I guess they have kind of just coped with the pressure of the World Cup reasonably well, which is why they've had a decent tournament in the end. They've they've surpassed everyone's expectations of the kind of uh, stumbled upon what is actually a pretty solid top five. Pereira, Karuna Ratne, Fernando, Mendes, Matthews is, is actually a that's, a that's a strong top five. Fernando, I think, his hook shot is is so good. He hit Cotchall for a brilliant six today, uh, 89 miles per hour, and he hit Joffre Archer for two sixes in that game. Um, and if England get knocked out, by the way, on, on Wednesday against New Zealand, I think we'll look back as would look back at Fernando's 49 against England as as, as like the turning point in their campaign. Schranker were three for two, all over Schranker, and Fernando played this quite brilliant counter-attacking 49 that changed the momentum of that game. Um, ben, there was a no, there was a no, yeah, sorry. You just think about all the brilliant players that the batsmen that were in that game, and he he was the only one to get to grips with that that victory. I guess Ben Stokes sort of towards the end, but I mean. Yeah, it was. It really stood out because of how everyone else struggled, not just because of the final result. If that makes sense, yeah, it was a. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he wasn't the only young person to score their first international hundred today. Nicholas Puran, who has also looked really good in the tournament without leaving a, a game-defining innings until today, uh, he he was superb. He scored his first hundred in in all professional cricket, and he's another one who perhaps could have we could have seen more of before if it weren't for injury. Yeah, uh, so I think it was a, a, a few years ago he was involved in a, a, a really bad car crash and uh, it, it, so, there were times after that when he couldn't move either of his legs. He had to have some, some quite serious surgeries. Uh, so I think, I think yeah, he, he's another one exactly. We'd have seen more of him and it's not a marker of his talent or lack of that he hasn't played till now. It's just been circumstance. I think we can expect to see a lot of him. It remains to be seen whether that would be in T20 cricket or whether that'll be in, in test cricket for the West Indies but I mean he as as far as you can tell he looks like a player who has the game for it I mean I don't know if the temperament is there yet I guess I mean there have been a few times sort of most sort of throwing it away and then today as well in sight of I mean actually you could sort of forgive him in sight of his first professional 100 but uh, he sort of ran out Fabian Allen which as much as that uh that Matthews wicket put the seal on the defeat. That was the moment that like the game turned because Alan was batting brilliantly. He got to a 
34.50 and yeah, on 99 sort of desperate to get those hundreds they set off and then was desperate not to get out on 99 so turned back and was completely sold his mate down the river and uh, yeah, but yeah, no, no, a, a brilliant talent and, and it's, yeah, it's playing brilliant and you've got to give the credit to, to Graham Swan, he said it all those all those weeks ago in, our, in what our first podcast said they see him in the CPL or the IPL and his, he was something special and he was uh, mm. been bang on, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, the fact that he never scored a professional 100 until today and he was still being selected as West Indies number number four in a World Cup kind of suggests that people think there's something special about him. You don't you don't get have people batting for if, uh, without professional 100s that often, so there must be something different about him. Um, West Indies are, are in ninth place. They haven't won a game in, in over a month, um, but it hasn't felt like they've played that badly. They've been, they've been close in some games. Ben, where, where do you think they've where, where do you think they've gone wrong? Well, I think the the close thing can't really be underestimated because it is a tournament where, as much as it's a long group stage, you're also like a few bad results can really put you out of it. And I think that the the, the, the real clincher was the one against uh, Australia, where they they were pretty close, and then Mitchell Stark came in and cleaned up the tail, and that was that basically. But um, just the way they talk about that in every press conference now, they kind of say, "Oh, it's that." Australia game had gone differently if that Australia game had gone differently and I think as much as it set them back on the points table it just completely sucks any of the wind out of their sails with the momentum from the England series before that and from that game against Pakistan um, and then obviously the close game against uh, against New Zealand and again today but I, I guess also the, the, the Bangladesh game showed something else when so obviously the short ball had done it against Pakistan and then against Bangladesh they tried to go short and against like Shakib is a brilliant player of the short ball it was kind of never going to work but you saw in that game Andre Russell he was bowling a lot of short balls bowling quickly his knees kind of finally gave out and it was just it was heartbreaking to see because he was there on the field like uh, just not able to even fall over after the ball uh, just because he hoped if he could maybe stick it out he could bowl that one more over and maybe get the wicket and it's clear that he cares so much and it has meant so much to all of them I think almost the fact that it's meant so much and been building up to it I think because it came all of a sudden that they suddenly had a chance to do something when it started going wrong it went wrong quite quickly I guess but I mean yeah they, they could easily have if that Bangladesh game gone their way and then they, they'd won the three the three close ones they, they could be semi-final contenders and there's a, the core of a really good team there really good batting lineup especially so all is all is not all is not lost and I hope that they kind of recognise that and they, when they go home and evaluate that this hasn't been the awful tournament looks like in the points table, I guess. It's quite a positive reflection of the competitiveness of the tournament that a team this good is likely to finish ninth. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, all they are is a, what, one one wrist spinner, a seaman, just a little bit of, of guile, I guess, and the mm. batting department away from being real contenders. I was looking at the table uh, today and Sri Lanka, before this game, were uh, out of contention for the top four sp- spaces because the most points they could finish on was 10 and England are on 10 points but because Sri Lanka had two rained off games they could not have as many wins as England and if teams are on equal points it goes to games won before net run rate and that's actually quite harsh because if Sri Lanka had won uh, today which they did and they win their last game against India they'll end up with a win percentage of 57% which is better than what England would be if England finished on t- Ten um, on ten points, which would be fifty five percent, which seems a bit harsh. Ben, is that an oversight from the tournament organisers that that uh, a team with a better win percentage can be knocked out basically just because they had two games rained off? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of a double-edged sword that it's more losses if you finish on the same points as someone else. Um, I guess the thing is, is that like in cricket, there's not going to be a perfect solution as there is obviously in, in football with goal difference because you don't get a single type of margin of victory. You don't get runs or wickets. Like They could go with net run rate, but we've seen before how that throws up some odd results like in the 2015 World Cup when New Zealand beat Australia by one wicket in what was obviously a really close game but in 25 overs so they got a huge boost in their, in their net run rate and um, I think what you're looking for in a differentiator is something that um, oh shit sorry I, should, I want to talk about something else first um, there's, there's something else people suggested as a potential tiebreaker which is using DLS because you can get a margin of victory in terms of runs you'll see it if there's a, a chase ended before the, uh, the team has a chance to get the runs and it will say they've won by 16 runs because they're this much ahead of the DLS pass score and you can actually use that to get a runs margin in any chase so yeah. then you can get a runs margin in any game um, but the problem with that is if you bowl a team out for 50 say and then chase it down in 5 overs you've obviously delivered an absolute hammering but you uh, have only won by at most 50 runs which mm-hmm. doesn't sound that close um, so there's that, that's also not a perfect solution. So I guess, yeah, I, I, I don't have one, but it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely something that should be figured out and that I'm sure they can figure out. Net, net run rate does add an interesting dimension to the tournament, though. Um, I mean, West Indies and New Zealand picked up enormous victories in the first few games of the tournament um, that has had a very long-lasting effect on their net run rate. Um, is effectively giving them an extra point. New Zealand's net run rate is excellent. Pakistan's is awful largely down to that defeat to, to the West Indies on day two of the tournament. Do you do you understand how net run rate works? Because the commentators definitely don't. Yeah, no, well, I, I do, but I've, I've looked into it and I have a, uh, a maths degree. I, I won't give the, uh, the explanation out since you're there's easy things to let us out there, but it is sort of counterintuitive in more than just the fact that it takes a bit of calculation to do in that. So I'll try and explain how this works in my head is that if you want a tie break between teams you want it to uh, get a level of sort of dominance I guess in the games that they've won because obviously just looking at the wins and losses hasn't cut it and the thing with net run rate is it putting aside the other stuff about wickets lost is it gets you dominance per ball if that makes sense because it's like just the, the, the overs minus the overs which means that if you win a 20 over game heavily it's going to impact your net run rate less if you win a 50 over game heavily which to me doesn't make sense I guess I think it should be down to each game and how good you were in each game rather than how good you were over all the balls you've bowled and batted if that makes sense I think there is a way to do it in that you could um, take the net run rate for each game and add and subtract that and that would also have the, the nice effect which some commentators misunderstand that if you win a game, your net run rate will go up, and if you lose it, your net run rate will go down. That is at least a small change I can see that would improve the system a little bit and take out some of the sort of more confusing aspects of it. But yeah, I don't know. Do, do you understand it, Yaz? Oh, well, can't, can't, um, not really, um, but thank you. I mean, cricket, cricket is a complicated game, but I think net run rate is the most complicated part of what is one of the more complicated sports. Um, the Women's Ashes starts today. Um, England looking to regain them for the first time since 2014. Uh, Australia probably go into the tournament as as favourites 
Uh, Australia scored 340 against a strong England Academy side the other day, which was basically an England Lions side. Um, ben, they go in favourites for you, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I guess slight question mark. It's not even a question mark. It's just because she's so important. Uh, is Meg Lanning in her form? She's only got two ODI 50s mm. since the uh, since 2017 World Cup. I mean, Elise Perry's in the form of her life, so you sort of uh, you can't you can't look look too strongly into into that as a kind of point of weakness. I guess the other thing is I'm not sure if Australia know exactly. Here's what is their best batting lineup. I mean, they did win those two academy games really comfortably, but they were playing quite a quite a different line of each one I think they know especially who their opening partnership should be if it will be Rachel Haynes who has in the New Zealand series but will be Nicole Bolton or Beth Mooney is another candidate and I think Alyssa Healy is the mainstay up there so there's the sort of things that England maybe will look at and they can exploit and obviously have some brilliant players of their own I mean Australia have got to go in as, as strong favourites I think uh, what about players that we might not have seen shine on the on the, on the the bigger stage before who, who we might see shine over the next few weeks yeah, I think there's there's two or three that stand out. I guess from Australia, the two are um, Georgia Wareham, who's a leggy, and she's keeping a man. Anyone who watched the Women's Ashes Down Under last time will know what a brilliant bowler mm. uh, she is. And so to keep her at the side, is, is, she must be something really special. So it would be really interesting how she goes. And the other one is uh, Taylor Vlemink, I think we're going with, uh, yeah, who has had a lot, a lot of injuries, but is properly rapid she's uh some people think she might be the fastest bowler australia which is obviously a high high accolades because i'm quite young and it sounds like bristle shoulders but uh yeah she could be she, she might not play every game she might not play many games at all but it'll be definitely like when she is playing and from england i think the two to watch are two that aren't actually in the initial squad they've gone with sort of a tried and tested squad for the odis fran wilson is the one not surprised but the one who hasn't played so much in there but she's been in brilliant form and we've seen what she can do in there she was a key part of that World Cup campaign uh, but the two I think might come in are Bryony Smith and uh, Sophia Dunkley who have both been in brilliant form for uh, their county sides and Bryony Smith also for the academy side um, and I think they, they maybe see them as just as, as T20 specialists and if it comes to if, if England are making changes after the test match it'll be because they have ground to make up and so they need to win that series or bring or even win all three bringing those two in will be a real it'll be a real test of what they can do it'll be really really exciting because they're two players who I think might well be the bedrock of England's side for for years to come the the timing of the Ashes is uh, unfortunate in a way it's it's starting just as the World Cup reaches the business end I mean it's been a long tournament but we're getting to the to the to the most interesting bit of the World Cup, and as a result, the Ashes is kind of started under the radar and is not perhaps getting the attention that it really deserves. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I guess it's such a busy summer with the, the men's World Cup, two big women's series, and six Test matches. That I don't know how much choice they really had. Mm. I wonder also. I mean, with the format of the World Cup, I think it would be in Sri Lanka. It would all be basically done and dusted by now and uh, and maybe there could be a bit more focus on it but as it is everyone's still firmly seeing a thing and they're going to qualify mm-hmm. uh, I guess that the good thing is is that that test match is going to be such uh, an event is like got its own little window um, and that that when it can just be on Sky for the four days and anyone wants to watch cricket will have to watch that and that that is really exciting because I mean it's it's a huge moment for the women's test game I guess because there's only what there's only this is the only test they play now and there's a lot of people 
shame they should be playing more. And a, an exciting test match on TV when it's the only thing that's on would be a, a really, a really big boom for that case, I guess. I feel very sorry for the um, for the players playing in a test match because in any other game of professional cricket, there isn't pressure on the players to perform uh, to to be a part of a of a spectacle as much as a women's test match because it's so there are so few of them nowadays there's kind of a pressure for it to be an entertaining game and people's opinions of whether there should be more or or, or fewer uh, women's test matches are almost entirely based off one game every two years so I, I, I think that's unfair for players to have to handle as well as playing the biggest games of their careers yeah absolutely and I mean it's hard to overstate kind of just how different it is when you don't play any sort of multi-tape cricket in like in any form of cricket not not just international uh, so I mean because if, if, if you kind of think about it when you're playing ODIs and T20s you can get by by never trying to get a bat a batter out if that makes sense because mm. you can always just be restricting runs you never have to like hold that perfect ball that sort of pitch and off and then seems away and just clips gets the bat and goes to slip you can get by by just sort of you know by getting the runs and, and the same with batting you never have to just set out your stall and bat forever because there's always that time limit on it I think you see especially almost with the batting that they can't that it's, it's the natural thing that when you have forever to bat it seems you go a bit slower than you would otherwise uh, or well, not so otherwise, but slower than ideal for the format. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the thing is, I mean, it's really hard for players, but they, they all pretty much say that they want to play more and that they love playing them. And I mean, it's 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 it's, it's a bit of a, a slap in the face, I think, really, because everyone's talked about how Test cricket in men's cricket is the pinnacle, and then say to women, basically, no, you can't really play that. I think that they have to play more if they're taking it seriously. And uh, there was actually a suggestion given to me by Adam Collins, uh, Australian writer, and been on this podcast, I think, that uh, um, uh, you, you can do basically women's ashes format for all cricket around the world, because they only have the ICC Women's ODI Championship. And you just extend that to all three formats, and every tour is basically two ODIs, a test match, and three T20s, and like you have it there, basically. Um, and I think that's a, that's a really good suggestion, and there's one that... If I were in charge, I would try anything to, but I'm not. So. A very reasonable suggestion, but yeah, as as you say, you're you're not in charge yet, Ben. Um, yeah, not yet. Uh, we've got uh, we've got a question from one of our regular listeners, Richard Joyce. Uh, it's a good question. Um, out of interest, since you didn't discuss it on yesterday's podcast, is there an argument for Moeen and Plunkett to be picked for England ahead of Rashid? I get the latter's quality and his ceiling is higher, but he seems far from his best. Seven wickets in eight games at 57, going at 5.84 runs per over and a wicket every 59.14 balls. Moeen is only marginally better um, in the stats department and generally out of form with the bat but he at least offers the possibility of more power down the order if it comes off and arguably bowling a little bit better, albeit Rashid offers greater variation. Just a thought. What do you think about Richard's thought, Ben? Yeah, I think I've, I've taught myself around a bit. Really. I think when I first heard it, I was sort of like, no, there's, you, you, you can't drop Rashid, he's so important. But I think there's a couple of things. One, there's there's so many of those players that England have now. And I think the other thing is, he's, he's, he's right that there's not much between their bowling at the moment. There's probably also not much between their batting really so I mean you're not you're not losing much or gaining much picking either at the moment based on World Cup form but what you do lose when you pick Mo is a slightly different type of bowler that England don't have uh, in their other options I mean what she does brilliantly is take wickets in the middle overs but if England as they would in this scenario I think pick all four of Archer Wokes 
Plunkett in Wood, especially in Wood and Plunkett, you have two bowlers whose USP is their sort of middle overs strike taking, the wicket taking ability, mm. whereas you don't have a guy who can come on and just rattle through three overs at 16 or 17 or whatever. Uh, you've got that bit of unpredictability with Rashid, which Moen is maybe a slightly more consistent bowler and has, has been bowling really well, I think. Um, so, yeah, I think there, there definitely is an argument. I don't think it's the thing that's going to make or break England's World Cup campaign, but it's a definitely interesting one to discuss. What, 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 what would you say? What, what, what's your opinion? I mean, over the last four years, Rashid has been indispensable for England, but he's not bowling at 100%. Um, ben Jones said yesterday that perhaps uh, his his injured shoulder is affecting his ability to bowl googlies, particularly to left-handers, and he seems to be bowling fewer googlies than he normally does. If that is the case and he's not bowling at 100%, uh, then, then yeah, I would be open to changing things. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult one. I, I would be hesitant to to drop Rashid though. He's been so good for England for so long. Um, but I have been surprised that he's played every game in the World Cup because of that shoulder injury. It's been troubling him for what six, seven weeks now. Um, but I think the the big game changer here is is Mark Wood's form. Mark Wood, I think he's always been a player for me that the idea of him has always been better than reality. But since St. Lucia, um, that test match in what, February, um, he's been he's been a completely different bowler to what we've seen over the last four or five years in an England shirt. Um, he's bowling uh, 90 miles plus consistently and he's playing game after game. I mean, I can't believe he's played as much in this World Cup as he has done. Um, and it's his consistency that's change things that I mean before the World Cup I don't think anyone would have really seen uh, I, th- I think everyone would have presumed that Moeen would have played every game they would have presumed that Rashid would play every game the fact that that, that Moeen's not playing at the moment and Rashid's uh, spot is even under question even a little bit I think is um, uh, a reflection of how well Wood has done as much as anything else Yeah yeah I think that's right I mean but you're right about not questioning Rashid as well I think he would have missed a trick not just there but with not playing Tom Coe which sort of brilliant the Pakistan series and he hasn't got a look in and just could have got some more cup experience under his belt. But also, I mean, you might want to pick with someone. I mean, Wood could yet get injured, someone could yet get injured and then you're bringing Tom Curry and Cole to a, a World Cup semi-final or, 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 or what have you. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing to see Mark Wood bowling and bowling quick. I mean, he's, he's just a, a, a lovely bloke as well as a, as a, a furious bowler. So it's, mm. uh, it's great. Yeah, um, cheers for the for the question, Richard. Um, if you want to ask a question to the panel, get get in touch on Twitter with the hashtag AskWisdom, A-S-K with a capital A and Wisdom uh, with a capital W. Um, ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's uh, I know it's late. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, this has been the Wisdom Cricket Daily Podcast brought to you by Travel Bag, creating exciting holidays packed full of memories since 1979 sports social podcast network